You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. You have a copy of God's Word. Let me invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In God's goodness, He has given us His Word. Amen? Is not failed to speak. And so we hear his voice this morning as we study his word. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. The church has been united to Christ. And so, therefore, the church must be united in Christ. We must be eager to maintain unity, to agree together, to be of the same mind and of the same judgment. Now, that agreement doesn't come at the cost of truth, but it is the very truth of God's Word that drives us to agree together, especially in what He's called us to do and His grafting us together as one people. Now, last week... We acknowledge that that is not an easy thing to do. It's not easy to get all of these different people with different backgrounds and different opinions on life together into the same room and to agree together on anything, much less on matters of faith. In fact, sometimes it seems that no matter how hard you try to get a group of people to agree together, it just seems to get worse before it gets better. And that would be true certainly at the church at Corinth. And we saw last week that any kind of spiritual unity, this, uh, this uh, uniting the church together, comes only through spiritual wisdom, deep spiritual wisdom. And the source of that wisdom is the Word of God applied by the Spirit of God among the people of God. Well, if we're going to pursue that kind of wisdom... That kind of wisdom comes only through spiritual maturity, growing up in Christ. So we read it last week, verse 6 of chapter 2. Yet among the mature, we do not, or we do impart wisdom, rather. And those who are mature are able to receive the very wisdom that Paul has. Paul describes us as having the mind of Christ. So there is a Wisdom for unity that comes from maturity in Christ. So if deep spiritual wisdom is the kind that only comes through spiritual maturity, and Corinth was boasting in their own wisdom instead of boasting in the wisdom of God, then the result was they became a divided church. And the question that you and I should ask is, what is the relationship then between wisdom and maturity and the relationship between that and church division. It's the very question that 
Paul addresses at the beginning of chapter 3. So, if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. As we look together, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning together at verse 1. The Bible says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Father, we pray now. That you would help us to understand the relationship between being spiritually mature and being in unity as your people. I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would shape us this morning into the image of Jesus Christ. That we would see what it means to be mature in Christ and that we would give all of our efforts to doing that. That Holy Spirit, you would... Work in us what we cannot do of our own accord. That you would be in your grace uh, the very empowerment to be like Jesus this morning. And that you would show us in our flesh where we are not like you. Convict our hearts and stir us to become more like Jesus. And that the result would be unity in this place that's only explainable by your spirit. Lord, I pray that if there's one here who's never trusted in Jesus, who's never Come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That today would be the day of salvation. That you would convict and that you would save. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. And so again, Paul said in verse 6 of chapter 2, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. That's what should have been the case at Corinth. It should have been a church of maturity. The church was at least at this point a year and a half old, not likely closer to two years. Paul, we know, was writing back to the church after serving them for a year and a half. And somewhere in that travel time, there was another letter that was written. We have this one. And Paul was writing back to them to answer some of those questions and to address the issue of division. And in that time, the believers at the church at Corinth should have grown in their faith. At least to some level of spiritual maturity. But that was not the case. In fact, what we find is that Paul could not address them even now as believers, or as, as spiritual people, as spiritually mature believers. So he says in chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. That was the moment that Paul came, when they were first becoming Christians. And of course, they were new in the faith. And so he says in verse 2, I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you were not ready for it. He's talking about the first time that he came to Corinth. He couldn't address them as spiritual people yet. They were new in the faith. Aren't you glad this morning that even when we are babes in Christ, that God's word is Profitable and beneficial to grow us into the image of Christ even there. And Paul says, I I couldn't offer you yet deep things, meaty things. 
They were still trying to put to death their old fleshly desires. You know, kind of like a child that is first coming to this place of walking and, and, and crawling and getting into things. We have one of those now. Um, we've had four of them so far, and some of them are still getting into things they shouldn't get into. But at any rate, uh, so we have one, and it's like you're just constantly telling them no. Every turn, constantly telling them no. Why? Because they don't have judgment yet. They don't have the ability to discern what is good and right and what is not good and right. And so Paul is saying that's where you were at first. You were not spiritually mature. But here's the clincher. Don't miss what he says in the middle of verse 2. And even now you are not yet ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are, not of the, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, which are just the arguments from the beginning of the book, are you not being merely human? Those words, even now, are burdensome, aren't they? As if there was some expectation that by now they should have come to the place of some spiritual maturity. There should have been some measurable progress in their Christian life. Some sense in which they've become more mature than they once were. Why does he say that they're immature or still infants or still in the flesh? Why is it that he's able to make that assessment of them? Well, it's because of what he says in verse 3. There is jealousy and strife among you. He, he says you're still immature. And the reason he can make that assessment is because he sees them as divided. Don't miss this. A divided church is a spiritually immature church. You show me a divided church, Paul says, I will show you one who has not progressed in spiritual maturity. They still are babes in the faith. And so, jealousy, he mentions, strife. A church that's boasting in their status and their achievements. This is who Corinth was. A church that's dividing into various camps and selecting leaders that would champion their cause. Paul says, you're just acting like children. You're acting like babies. It's been almost two years, and by now, there should be some evidence of your growth. But instead, it's just the opposite. You haven't changed at all. I wonder what Paul would say to many of our churches today. We are incredibly blessed, aren't we? To live in a time when... It's been 2,000 years since, essentially, since this letter. We've got all of these years of church history under our belt. All of this time where we can look to the, to the successes and failures of the church for 2,000 years and learn from what they faced, the battles that they've engaged in. There are sufficient examples of both success and failure. In addition... We have infinite wells of deep wisdom at our fingertips. Most of you could reach into your pocket right now and pull out any number of different commentaries all on your mobile phone. Bible commentaries, study resources, theological works, various series of sermons, 
spiritual discipline guides, counseling resources. I mean, it's all there for us, there in our pockets. And yet, the church today, being more resourced than ever before, is often divided over some of the very same things that divided Corinth. Jealousy, strife, boasting in status and achievements, causes to form positions around, leader loyalty, and the list goes on much longer than what was at Corinth. And on the authority of the Word of God, the reason why we are so divided is not for the lack of spiritual resources, but for the lack of spiritual maturity. Tragically, even though we have far more available to us to lead us to spiritual maturity, we are perhaps no further along than we were 2,000 years ago in many ways. The tragic part, even more than that, is that we're not talking about just two years since becoming a Christian. In the church today, there are people who claim the name of Jesus who've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And sadly, if you were to take an assessment of the spiritual age of many of those believers, they would not have progressed much further along than spiritual infancy. There is a great need in the church today to come to spiritual maturity. The writer of Hebrews had some of the very same concerns about the church. The first five chapters, he was explaining some of the depth of what God had done in the Old Testament and what he was only foreshadowing coming in the New Testament with Christ. But he pauses in the middle in chapter 5 to say this, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this, this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for those who are mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. There's his definition of spiritual maturity. His concern was their failure to mature in the faith. And therefore the division at the church at Corinth was resulting from, the strife and the jealousy resulting from their immaturity. There's only evidence of that fact. So by implication, what Paul is arguing here is that there must be spiritual progress in the church or growth. We must move on from infancy in Christ to full spiritual maturity. When Paul writes, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. And then he says, even now that's where you still are. There is a... a an intention that you should have been farther along than this. There must be movement from milk to solid food, from infancy to adulthood spiritually. And the time frame he gives is not 30 years, it's only two. There should be marked spiritual progress among believers. 
Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. The picture throughout God's word is spiritual maturity. This is one of my favorites. And Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 brings together both the concept of unity and maturity in the same place. Makes a positive command. He says, I gave, or rather he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, speaking of Jesus, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And listen to this language, verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children. That's the, that's the goal of the Christian church. That we would grow up fully into Christ. And then verse 15 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And then he brings in this unity language. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When the church is mature. The church is in unity. Here's what I want us to see here. The church must be committed to spiritual growth if we are to protect and promote church unity. The church must be committed to spiritual growth if we are to protect and promote church unity. To put it simply, it's time to grow up. Now, as we all know, we've been through a season of church division here in some ways, and this has been a timely um, approach to 1 Corinthians, our, our study of the, <coughs> the Peacemaker book in our connect groups has been helpful for that, <coughs> to prepare us for this study and to reinforce what God is already teaching. So I hope that that's been an incredible blessing for you, and I, I want you to know <coughs> This morning as your pastor That I have seen some incredible obedience To living out biblical conflict resolution in our body There have been moments of great spiritual maturity Over the last couple of months Where God has just, through you God has just led in obedience Into accomplishing some incredible obedience to his word It's just been an incredible picture at the same time, over the last couple of months, there's been some incredible disobedience and immaturity when it comes to conflict resolution and how we deal with that among one another. And so my question this morning to you as we approach this text is how then, if we are to maintain spiritual maturity in order to promote biblical unity, how do we do that? What does it look like? What does it look like to progress in the faith? What does maturity look like? How do we know when what we're committed to is actually spiritual growth? Well, there are a lot of things that we could strive for. In fact, a lot of things that the Bible gives us 
throughout God's Word. But there are four main things that Paul identifies here that are marks or characteristics of spiritual maturity, four aims, if you will, of spiritual maturity. Number one, the first aim of spiritual maturity is the deepening of gospel awareness. The deepening of gospel awareness. So I want you to hold where you are in chapter 3 and go all the way back to chapter 2. It may be on the same page for you. But chapter 2, look with me at verse 6. Paul says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So again, we've already looked at this. What kind of wisdom is he describing? Verse 7 says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. That wisdom, by the way, we talked about last week, is not something that is a a wisdom for the more spiritually elite or those who understand better. It's a wisdom that was hidden in the ages past. A wisdom that God decreed before the ages, he says, for our glory. We know from Paul's writing that this is a, a wisdom that revolves around the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the the gospel. This is wisdom in the gospel that God from eternity past has set into motion. And he says in verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. He says, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So there's something about the gospel that is both childlike in the way that we understand it, but that continues to plumb deeper and deeper and deeper as we become more aware of what God has done. I'll never forget a seminary professor saying to me once, men, don't forget this. Becoming a Christian is giving everything that you know about you to everything that you know about Jesus. But I want you to understand this morning that we don't know everything there is to know about Jesus when we become a Christian. The gospel is something that continues to teach us who Jesus is and who we are in light of who he is, even the depths of who God is. Paul validates that when he gets to chapter 3, when he says there was a time where you were not spiritual people, where you were infants in Christ. Now you should have come to the place of spiritual maturity. There is a deepening of that original faith in Jesus that we become increasingly aware of. That, by the way, is not found through human wisdom. We've already seen that. The evidence of faith in them is not going to be through human wisdom, but through the Spirit of God. What God is doing in their hearts to drive them deeper in The gospel. He reminds them you weren't even saved. Remember in chapter 1? You weren't even saved based on your own wisdom. God didn't choose you based on your status or how good you were. God chose you based purely upon His grace so that you might boast in God and God alone. And then He brings it to this place of the cross. The word of the cross. I determined to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's all rooted in the gospel. Do you see the 
the trend line there, what's happening, to come to faith in the simplicity of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, only grows in its in its breadth and in its depth over the time that you're a Christian, so that you see your entire life finds meaning and purpose, finds instruction, finds redemption in the cross of Jesus Christ, more and more in the gospel. We have been saved through the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that truth alone is the way that we can be saved, only through Jesus The truth that a man is born separated from God because God is holy and righteous and there are none like him and none who can measure up to his standard. All of us who've turned away from him and become sinners separated from him. That it is by grace and grace alone that we can be saved through faith alone in Jesus alone. There is no other way. It is not by works that anyone should boast. It is the gift of God and we are given the imputed righteousness of Jesus, whereas, wherein my righteousness, which is as filthy rags, is put away. I'm clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's accounted to me, and I'm saved through faith. Friend, can I tell you, as a Christian, the more you become aware of the reality of God's holiness, and the more you become aware of the reality of our sinfulness, the more the gospel just simply comes to life and gets gooder and gooder. It just does. The, the milk of the gospel at conversion actually becomes the very meat on which you chew for the rest of your life and you just love it and you grow to treasure it. And the more you live as a Christian, the more you treasure the holiness of God and you spurn the sinfulness of your old self. You grow in gospel awareness. This is what it means to become a Christian and to go on to spiritual maturity. Maturing faith is one that constantly becomes more aware of the gospel. Secondly, it is the killing of sinful flesh. What does maturing faith look like? It looks like the one who is resting in the grace of God gives themselves fully to the killing of sinful flesh. Not in others, Although there is a whole other body of instruction for how we deal with sin in one another. It's the killing of sinful flesh in me. I asked our students this morning, if you were to describe the Christian life as an experience or a battle, which would you say better describes the Christian life? The answer to that question is both. Oftentimes Christians lean on their experiences with God, but they forget to do battle with God against their sin. And so the Christian life becomes one emotional experience to the next emotional experience, and everything in between just kind of gets left to the wayside. Now the Christian life is an experience with God that results in battle with God in the trenches against our sinfulness. That's why Paul says in verse 2, And even now you are not ready you are still of the flesh. But while there is strife, or while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh, behaving only in a human way? He uses the words merely human there in verse 4. Anytime you see the word flesh in the scripture, 
is almost always synonymous with our sin. And then Paul uses that only or merely human to demonstrate to us that there, in our own natural ability, there is no ability to overcome this flesh. This is the human condition. We are, by nature, sinners. And God's Word says that we, in our nature, love darkness rather than light because our deeds are evil. We sin because we love it. Sin is alive and well in the human heart. And yet, when we come to know Jesus, we realize that that sin is what Jesus went to the cross for. That he died in order that I might be restored to God. That he defeated the very thing that so enslaved me. That he deals the death blow to my sin in order that I might go to war against the thing in me, in his strength and in his power, for which he died. So those who are maturing in Christ are putting to death more and more our own sin. Because we're a new creation. We are no longer merely human. We're spiritual people in Christ. Paul described the battle somewhat in Romans chapter 8. He said, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And he goes on describing how there is this battle between the flesh and the Spirit. But he summarizes it, he puts it all together in verse 13. Listen to this. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. One clear mark of spiritual maturity is that we're not just kind of passive or in neutral when it comes to the sinfulness of our flesh. But that we are every single day doing battle to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And it is a daily battle. And if you've been a Christian for very long at all, you know that the old flesh rises up again and again and again. Paul said, I do the things that I don't want to do. There is a daily battle that we must fight against our flesh, against our sin. But the one who's maturing is winning that battle. The one who's maturing is seeing clear marks of the death of sin in their life. And so the counterpart then... Not only is there a killing of sinful flesh in our life, the counterpart to that is the development of Christian character. The development of Christian character. Chapter 3 and verse 3 says, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh behaving only in a human way? Jealousy and strife. We've already seen that Flesh and sin are essentially synonymous. Specifically, he mentions those two, jealousy and strife. Strife, by the way, being the result of jealousy. You remember what James said to the church? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, you desire and do not have, so you murder? You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Strife comes from jealousy. Jealousy, covetousness, envy, all these things. These are 
These are character issues, aren't they? These are our nature. They're, they're things about us that are inward characteristics, our hearts. And so if we're putting aside the works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, there has to be a clear growth in Christian character. In fact, the very pathway to putting away the deeds of the flesh and putting on the character of a Christian is walking by God's Spirit. It's a both-and kind of a thing. Galatians 5, Paul wrote to the church saying that we should walk by the Spirit and will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the flesh or the spirit or against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It's a warlike language there. Constant opposition. If you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And then he describes character issues. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, and then listen, right at the heart of this list are some unity issues. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. And then he goes on, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is an inward man kind of a thing. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And then he says in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's the picture. Put to death the old man, live according to the new man by walking in God's spirit. Spiritual maturity is not just how much you know. It's about how faithful you walk. Friend, we won't measure how mature you are as a Christian by determining how many Bible verses you can quote. Don't measure a person's life by how faithful they are in church. Don't measure a person's life simply by all of the things that they can explain theologically. At the end of the day, you measure a person's spiritual growth by how faithful they are to God's Word. How faithful am I to living out God's Word by putting to death the old man, living according to the new man. Development of Christian character is a clear mark of spiritual maturity. And fourth, final thing that we see here Paul describing is kind of implicit. And that is the nurturing of Christian fellowship. The nurturing of Christian fellowship. Christian maturity was intended by Jesus to happen, not by ourselves, but in the context of Christian fellowship. Within a body of believers. A body of believers that you commit to do life with. And not just any group of believers, the church, baptizing, Lord's Supper taking, Great Commission, responsible church. And then he expected 
them to care for one another, even as they were doing this mission. This is why he selected 12 men and did life with these 12 men and cared for these 12 men for three and a half years and then commissioned them to go and make disciples who would do the same things. We're to do life together. This is Christian fellowship. And it is within the context of Christian fellowship that we see Paul frame this call to maturity. He uses the words among you in verse 3. He describes the very complaint that there is among the church. This following of Paul and following of Apollos, which means they're under Christian leadership. This is an organized church. The mature church is nurturing relationships with one another. Spins around full circle. As actively as Corinth was working trying to build themselves up and tear one another down, they were supposed to be as active about building themselves or building one another up and humbling themselves before one another. They were to learn together to be slow to speak and slow to anger and quick to listen. They were to learn together about what it means to forgive and to be quick to overlook a fault. They were to learn to carry one another's burdens, to love one another. All of these things within the context of Christian fellowship. Why? Because as they did life together and lived out the word together, maturity came. Nurturing Christian fellowship is a sure sign of spiritual maturity. Those who would seek to tear apart the church those who would seek to undermine the importance of the church. Those who would seek to neglect the church in their own life. Are simply acting as spiritual children. Because spiritual maturity sees the need to nurture our relationships with one another. And so the church must be committed to spiritual growth if we are going to protect and promote church unity. In short, it's time to grow up. It's time today to do a spiritual assessment, checkup. If we take our kids to the doctor and see how they're growing, what percentile they're in, and all of those questions that the doctors love to answer based on statistics, we were to assess our life as a church family. You were to assess your life as a believer. Do you see the mark of those four things in your life? Do you see very clearly a deepening uh, awareness of what the gospel has done in your life? Do you, do you grow in your love for Jesus and the gospel? Do you see this turning away from sin over and over, putting it to death in your life over and over, and it growing more aggressive as a Christian, I don't want to see these things in my life any longer. God, help me. Do you see yourself pursuing Christian character in your life? Growing to look more like Jesus in the way that his word teaches us. And do you see yourself giving your life to being a part of a body of believers where you can sharpen and grow one another? See, we must be committed to spiritual growth. 
if we're going to see the church be in unity. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Today is that day of spiritual checkup and just this moment in your heart of hearts as you're doing an assessment of your own life, I wonder if you would commit those things to the Lord. Some of you this morning, you can't really grow up because you haven't even been born yet. Some of you this morning have been focusing on all the things that are required to be a good Christian, quote unquote. But you've never come to know the one for whom the name comes, Christ. You've never been born again. Friend, you can live the best life you want to. You can do all the right things and have all of the right answers, but at the end of the day, if you don't know Jesus, you have nothing. The Bible has good news today. The Bible teaches that if you would turn from your sin today and surrender your life to Jesus, that you will be born again. God will do a work to change you and make you a new creation, to forgive you of your sin, to cleanse your life, to give you eternal life with God and restore you in a right relationship with Him. And then you'll begin to be changed by God's Spirit into the image of Jesus. Today, in just a few moments, if that's you, you would want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ today. We want to invite you to come right from the place where you'll be standing in a few moments. Step out into this aisle. Pastor, today, I want to know Jesus. I want to be born again. You come. Others of you in this room, some level of that assessment, you need to get right with the Lord today. Whatever area it is, putting sin to death, living righteously, being stirred once again for the goodness of the gospel, or being in right relationship with other believers. Today, you need to respond in obedience, repentance, and faith toward God. And give it over to Him. In a few moments, this altar will be open. Maybe you need to come and pray. Maybe you need to get something right with someone else here in this place. Maybe this means you need to make a phone call when you leave church today. Get something right. Today's the day to do it. Grow in spiritual maturity. As God leads you by His Spirit in obedience to His Word. Would you stand with me all across the room? As I pray, our invitation will begin. The altar will be open and you come. Lord Jesus, I pray that you have your way in this place and in our hearts. God, may you be honored by our obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.